Welcome to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast, a peek into the minds and strategies of the world's greatest copywriters, marketers, and persuasion experts. And now, here's your host, Brian Casangina. Sorry about that one. Sorry about that, guys. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we're you know we're open to answering any questions you have. You can ask us about our father. We love to talk about him or us. Um, And just to introduce ourselves, you know, um, our father was Gary Halbert, and uh, he is what I maintain and argue all the time is the greatest copywriter who ever lived. And Mm, I make that argument based on the fact that he's had more winners in various fields uh, of of, uh, product, you know, areas and and, uh, sales than any copywriter that I can think of. Um, he also wrote what is considered to be the most widely mailed sales letter in history, which was the Halbert's Coat of Arms letter. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's also the very first to really come out and teach everybody else how to write copy. You know, he had to, mm-hmm. you know, learn from a couple of books and teach himself. And then, but he came on uh, 1986. He started what's now a very famous newsletter called the Gary Halbert Letter. Mm. And, um, and with that, he uh, uh, became uh, be, he became sort of like it's and sometimes it's considered a bad word now, but he came the became the guru to the gurus. Mm. So a lot of the times when you are talking about some really top copywriters, um, a lot of them actually learned a lot of their craft from him, either in seminars or uh, from him in person or through his newsletter. And so, you know, he he really, in almost, you know, in almost all ways that you look at categories, just blew everybody else away, including, uh, as far as copywriting, including, you know, sales figures. I mean, this, if you were to add up all the sales um, that attributable to him, it would come into the billions. And you got to remember, his career started back in the very late 60s and early 70s. And... Uh, so, you know, and but where Kevin and I came out was, you know, our father was completely enveloped in uh, direct marketing and copywriting. And by completely enveloped, I mean he didn't have friends that were outside of marketing and business. He didn't, um, you know, every everything he did in life he applied to marketing. His, you know, favorite mm-hmm. hobbies were reading books and going to movies and, um well, he did. He liked to collect cameras as well, but most everything that he did, he related it to marketing, you know. And so it was, you know, because you don't really become the best in the world at something unless you're absolutely in love with it to the point where you can, you know, live, exactly. eat, and breathe that. Because yeah. if you don't live, eat, and breathe it, somebody else is going to live, eat, and breathe it and be better than you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I mean, if you're if you're playing golf 12 hours a day and you're really good and you've got talent, the guy who's really good and got a lot of talent who's playing 16 hours a day is getting mm-hmm. more time than you. You know, and mm-hmm. so so. But the point that the reason I make that point is when you grew up the way that Kevin and I did. You know, we grew up from, as we little children. We were stuffing and stamping and sealing envelopes for test mailing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we got older, you know, um, we're help we're we're doing everything. You know, Kevin's helping to maintain the website that's uh, that's so famous now, the GaryHalbertLetter.com, 
and you know I partnered with my dad and did a lot of work with him and you know helped with clients I mean you're just talking about in brainstorming and he's bouncing ideas off of you and you know he would you know he was never sending out an ad without going hey guys you know read this and tell me what you think mm. and so it, it was a real um i it was a it was a it's more of a family business with us but it's a family business that you know we were being taught in earnest from you know yeah. early ages on and um a lot of people know this because uh, my dad wrote a fa- a famous book called the boron letters where he was writing the letters to me, but they were also too, you know, you could tell that he was, you know, he was passing on lessons and information, and he was putting it more into the written form, but these were the lessons about how to become of successful in direct marketing that he had been teaching Kevin and I since, you know, since since we were old enough to teach anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, so that, so, you know, it's, it was kind of weird because, you know, somebody would ask us, you know, when we were in our 20s or in our 30s, you know, or, you know, what do you know about marketing? It was kind of hard to turn around and say, well, you know, you've got, we've got, you know, 20 years experience in marketing when you're 30 years old because, you know, nobody yeah. was going to be- believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they, 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 they really got a clue into it when they, saw, uh, when they read that book called The Boron Letters. <clears throat> but... Um, you know, now what we do is uh, we, you know, a lot of people were expecting us to take down his site and, um, you know, all the letters that he had put up on the web for people to come peruse for free. And they thought we were going to take it down and, you know, hoard it and then start selling it out. And they didn't realize at the time that Kevin and I had gone on and started our own businesses and actually were, you know, making just as much if not even more money <laughs> um you know mm-hmm. than our father uh, so in, in doing other things and so then you know we did so what but you know in honor of our father we made sure that we not only kept the site up and alive but we're keeping it more active we bring in other um other top copywriters and other top marketers and, you know from yeah, different yeah, areas yeah. of the marketing you know we bring them in and um have them help um, uh, provide content. Uh, so that basically we've kind of, you know, our idea is that, you know, our dad's goal was to bring and provide for free, you know, some of the best right to the, to the heart of the matter, good copywriting advice without a lot of fluff um, to, you know, to the people who are interested in doing it. And so that's kind of what we continue to do. Yeah, we appreciate that. I mean, uh, um, it's been a staple bookmark in on my computer for um, well, basically since I've been in marketing, which is only um, what, eight years now. So I'm relatively new, really, but uh, um, you know, it's something I discovered uh, uh, around back around that time when I got into direct marketing, and and um, you know, I've uh, uh, been a, a much appreciative reader ever since. Well, we we always appreciate it, and you know, um, and the thing, the great thing about those letters is, you know, they have so much rereadability. I was re, we were reformatting exactly. some recently um, to get them uh, set up so that you know they would people would sign up for the site and they could get the letters drip fed in the order in which they came out. And yeah. so in reformatting that, you know, Kevin was having me reformat them so that. Um, 
it, it, well, he set up the format. I'm just kind of now more doing a little bit more of the legwork um, so that they are readable by I, I, iPhones. And yeah, know, yeah, I want to check that out because I'm on iPhone now, so I want to do that too. Oh, you're, uh, yeah, you'll like it. Yeah. I mean, it, and, the, and the great thing is, is you know, like I said, it was saying I was rereading the letters, and you know, it's you know, bringing back um, the lessons and bringing them to heart and stuff like that. And you know, even though I've heard the lessons, whatever he might, the lesson he's got, I was probably. You know, Kevin and I have heard the lesson at least five, six, you know, maybe a dozen times, if not more. It depends on which lesson you're talking about. But we were also there mm-hmm. when he he was formulating the lesson. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, Kevin was a, Kevin was a, a sounding board for him. You know, I you know you couldn't be in his life without being a sounding board for him. But nobody was talking to him and spending more time communicating with him than we were. Mm. It must have been uh, must have been an amazing childhood and. I mean, just on that, uh, uh, something uh, came to me while you were describing, um, you know, about uh, about growing up with your dad and uh, and how and experiencing uh, um, him growing his business and learning those lessons. I mean, uh, we could have stopped the call right then, and it probably would have been the most valuable call um, of all mm-hmm. these ones I've been doing. Where um, we're just talking about how Gary. Uh, didn't have any uh, you know, friends outside of marketing, and mm-hmm. and I'm the same. I don't have any friends outside of marketing. I don't know really many people who um, sort of don't get who, who don't get the same things that, that I'm interested in. <coughs> um, well, it's, I, it's the immersion that you were talking about that uh, that is really valuable. Yeah, the immersion is what is what's going to you know propel you a lot. Uh, uh, you know, a lot more forward. If you're, mm. if you wake up and your phone conversations are about marketing with other marketers, if you are, you know, if you know, and Kevin, uh, you know, I'm gonna let him speak a little bit more about this because he, <laughs> what happened was, um, right before our father had passed away, Kevin and I had spent a lot of time talking about marketing. But I, w- I was on my, the phone with my father every single day, and every single day mm. we were talking about whatever his marketing projects were. Um, and, uh, you know, because he, you know, while Kevin and I were running a business, we were running our business. We weren't running one with a lot of other clients coming in. At that time, we didn't yeah. do consulting like we do now. Yeah. And, um, but what happened was, you know, I'd spent so much time talking about marketing. If one of my friends wanted to bring it up, you know, I wanted to talk about something else, you know, because, you know, it's like the, um, you know, the co- the cook doesn't always want to talk about cooking after he spent 10 days in the kitchen, you know, yeah. of the of the restaurant. But then mm-hmm. I found that there was this real, you know, void in my life, even after I had, you know, started to kind of get over the loss. And so um, I, I needed to get out more. And um, I didn't really realize what was really, what, what that void was until I went to a mastermind meeting um, uh, held by John Carlton. And I came back from that and thought, wow, you know, I really need to start, you know, immersing myself again. Because, you know, when, yeah. when you're that close to somebody, you're, you're, I was already immersed, but I was only, I was immersed with, you know, in my opinion, best brain in direct marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin, though, Kevin got this, has this, you know, incredible appetite for every, you know, marketing book that's on the planet. You can't, you can't run into him now with, on his Kindle without, you know, he's always reading something. Mm. <laughs> sales letters that sizzle, you know, and and it was another top marketer that met up with Kevin that, you know, he's like, 
yeah, you know, um, um, he was reading this and he was reading that. And I, and I told him, I said, yeah, my brother is just, you know, fully immersed at the time. And, you know, he takes, you know, you know, I know Kevin's on the line. You can speak to this. But, I mean, you know, he gets some little downtime and just, you know, wants to kill some time. He'll call somebody like Gary Benzavenga <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> pick up the phone, call Jay Abraham, say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm, the, I'm the same. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch, watch a movie or... Um, so I watch I watch a normal movie, but uh, reading a book, you know, um, I've got a uh, uh, hundred marketing books to every one uh, of any other kind. So uh, I'm part of the same. But um, uh, speaking of Kevin, we haven't uh, forgotten about you, mate. So we're pretty interested in in hearing uh, um, your side of the story as well. Um, my side of the story, yeah, you know, it's well, it's, we both have the same story because we both live, you know, <laughs> we live with the same, you know, madman Gary Halbert. Mm. Um, you know, you know, it, it, you know, when we talk about immersion, I, I, I would change that word to obsession. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, you know, one of the things that my dad did was, um, I'll tell you a little piece of the story is that, um. When I turned um, 16, I was uh, old enough to drive, and um, I didn't bother to get a driver's license. I just didn't care. And mm. I live in Los Angeles where, you know, nobody walks or anything. And uh, mm. I don't know, a couple of months went by, and my parents were wondering. I think they were waiting for, you know, them to have the edge of, you know, a kid begging to get a driver's license and all that other stuff and get mm. a car or whatever. And... They didn't see me show any interest in that, and I, you know, I later I became obsessed with cars. And I yeah. um, started working on them nonstop. But the thing was, is that they went and paid for private lessons for me to get a driver's license. And what yeah. I realized was that they had other plans for me, which was to do errands and drive them around and do stuff like <laughs> oh, that. <okay. laughs> and it went, it, it went so far to the point of my dad. He, and see, my dad didn't care about cars. Cars were just a tool. And mm. so one day my dad, he, he calls me up and he says, hey, Kevin, you know, um, if you could have any kind of car, what would you have? And I, you know, I blurted out some some uh, exotic car in the 80s, maybe a Testarossa or something, mm. you know, a Ferrari of some sort or something. Mm. He goes, no, but within reason. I, And uh, and I said, well, I'd, I'd probably want a white convertible Mustang. And yeah. so he about two or three days later, he he drives up and he goes, what do you think of my car? And it was a white convertible Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> and it was his way. He knew that he found what I wanted. He knew what, you know, mm. you know, was. And so he would, he would have me do all these errands and drive for him. And, and, you know, he knew the car could be like a persuasion tool. But the, the big, biggest thing was, is that he hated driving. Um, he, I mean, he would do it versus not driving, but he did it. But he'd have someone else drive. And while you were sitting there driving him around in his car, which yeah. he had everyone driving around in his car, he would be obsessing about marketing. You know, <laughs> all he would be doing is daydreaming out the window. And then he would turn around and say, you know, hey, Kevin, I just figured out a way you can make $30,000 in a month. You know, and he would he would just sit there quietly. And he was just waiting to see if it would entice you to – 
get a response to say what how is it you know and he would do this to everybody it was it was his he was running headlines that's what he was doing you know and he was seeing what kind of kind of um uh leech and he was getting out of it you yeah. know and uh so he was he was constantly constantly and one of the things that he did which he had it was you know i you know i dad wouldn't like that the term but it you know it was almost like he was a uh, autistic savant or idiot savant in mm. that uh, he would loop he wouldn't he couldn't um, he would forget he told somebody something and he would tell him yeah. the same story three to five times and anybody who mm. really knew him knew that was true he would just yeah. he he could forget like he could hang up the phone and call you back an hour or two later and forget that he told you the same story now the story was about marketing and it was about an idea or a plan and yeah. And that obsession helped him craft his story and polish it and make it better and present it better and make it a more complete story and stuff like that. And that was so he had this this ability to have his mind. You know, other people are forcing themselves to go to work and get in the mode. You know, they get their mind set, they get their coffee going, they go sit down or they yeah. hunker down, which is not really the way copyright writes. They take a walk is what they do. But, uh, um, but. He he had an ability to have something injected into him that he could obsess about, and it was it was it had its own like catalyst in it uh, that kept him going, and he would it would you know pop out the other end with some you know genius copy. So yeah, and he would he would he would do that with you know that calling up and reading the ad or get run that headline by he'd do that with everyone, mm-hmm. and so I think that was why he so easily lost track of who he'd already told because he was just you know grabbing as many test subjects as he could. As soon as, you know, as soon as he hung up the phone with yeah. me, he's calling Kevin. As soon as he hung up the phone <laughs> with Kevin, he's calling Nancy Jones, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And there there was a time when, you know, when he was obsessed with something, it could be research on a project or um or something he wrote that was, you know, published on the internet or something. And he was so he was so obsessed with feedback that you know, if you were busy during the day, you hesitated to answer the question when you go, "Hey, are you near a computer?" Because you knew he was going to go send you something that you were going to have to spend some time reviewing and stuff. And, you know, he was doing it so much, you didn't always have the bandwidth to, you know, take the time out from yeah. your other you know, I like that Mustang story. The reason is, is, you know, I always marveled, and my dad marveled too, about how much our lives um, uh, were were similar. You know, yeah. when, when I first started to make it on my own in business and make good money, it was right around 30, which is right around what my dad did. Um, yeah. You know, and he kept, you know, I mean, physiology-wise, I would start to feel the same aches and pains that he did. Like one time I called him and I said, do you ever get this pain in your knee? And he goes, it's right to the left side, and it's on your it's on your right leg, right? And I go, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. You know, and he'd come back from the doctor and say, you know, oh, well, I got this issue or whatever. And I would say, oh, to hell with you. <laughs> He's like, why? I go, because you know anything you say I'm going to get, <laughs> you know, like 10 years later. But. The funny thing was is I you know I'm um I started off more like Kevin like you know liking cars I mean like Kevin not like Kevin started I started off liking cars then I didn't um then I started to now I care less about them probably less than Kevin does and I went out to go buy myself a brand new Mustang and I was ready to do this and I was I went out shopping I went to the you know the dealers and everything and I came back with a minivan for my wife 
and <laughs> instead, and I'm telling you, it's the best decision I ever made. Well, one mm. of the best decisions because you know, <laughs> she, you know, it's a nice, comfy captain's chair. She's driving me around, and yeah. I can actually. <laughs> Um, I don't run copy by my wife, but I will actually write copy in the passenger seat and write notes and do things like that. <laughs> and one thing, I, the one thing I would like to clear though, Kevin's right. My dad hated to drive. If you were with him, you were driving, right? And that even if you were driving his peach or pink or salmon colored, I don't care what you want to call it, Cadillac, because he painted everything this one color he liked. Okay. And, uh, but uh, he loved to take long drives that had, n- you know, no um, real set destination. You know, he yeah. would do that to go clear his head like once a year. He would go for like a three or, you know, a three or four day drive from Florida. You know, he'd drive yeah. up to Georgia or go do something like that. But if it was in the city, if it was errand related, if it was taking care of business, he hated it. Oh, I hate that too. In fact, I rode in a car with that same – he's not the first person with that same color, I don't think, Kevin, because I just rode in a 1958 Nash Metropolitan, and it was uh, – I asked the guy, because I'm partially colorblind. I said, you know, because it looked familiar. I go, what color is this? And the guy goes, well, it's really sort of a salmon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hated, he hated when you called it pink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we, you know, because it just sounded, you know, just just sounded too gay and stuff like that. And then, and then you go, no, it's salmon. I go, it's really gay to name colors after food or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> just because I knew Halbert salmon. Oh yeah, well, the, the, it was it was funny because he came back. And you know, he's doing this by the way. He's now doing it for shock value. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he he's not saying that because when he came back, he go you know he he took, he took this Cadillac out to go get repainted. I think that was the first car he did. It was the one in Key West, right, Kevin? I think so. But anyway, so he goes. I remember when he did it. He goes out to take it, and he goes, "Oh, wait till you see this car. I'm having it painted the perfect color." And he later called it my color, right? Yeah, he did. My special color. <clears throat> and here's the story. I like to tell. He um. He'd make us drive, you know, whenever you know, whenever we were around. So yeah. here you are driving his pink Cadillac, <laughs> you know, around. And by the way, this is a small island, so I mean, you know, everybody knows who you are, and if they did it, they do now. <laughs> and uh, so he's dri- making you drive him around in this pink Cadillac or run errands. That's even worse because he's not even in the car, right? <laughs> And he was sitting there, you know, and all these people would come up and look at him, and they would make comments or they'd just sneer or something like that. And I was sitting, I was driving, you know, like Kevin and everybody else was, and um, his uh, <laughs> his girlfriend's kids, when they would get dropped off in school, would hide in the back seat. They would lower their heads <laughs> so they couldn't be seen. And then uh, what would happen was uh, I would, uh, you know, people would look at me. I go, "Don't look at me. He picked the color. It's his car. He picked the color." I don't look at me. You know, until he picked the color. We're filling up gas one time, and he's sitting there in the passenger seat. You know, the windows are down, so he fully knows what's going on. This really good-looking girl comes up and says, "Man, I love the color of that car. That's so awesome." I go, "Thanks. Picked it out myself." <laughs> He just turned, you know, like, he just got that look on his face, which was like, you know, I would have so done that to you if I could have. That was a good burn. (laughs) Yeah. They either loved that color or hated it. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, that's, but that's, Kevin, that's exactly what he said about it. 
He said what he loved about that color is it sparked emotion and you either loved it or you hated it. And there was no in between, and he liked it. Now, he, I mean, when he first started it, he made, he had his like, you know, what I call his excuse, which was, uh, you know, and I think it was sort of a pretty smart excuse. He would say, you know, you come out and you see this sea of cars, and this is the way that he could easily tell or find which one was his, because yeah. he was that myopic. He was, I mean, his brain when he walked out of a movie theater was on whatever marketing piece he was writing. Yeah, you know, and and Kevin's right about the savant thing because it was, um, you know, uh, you know he, he 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 was really brilliant and he could figure out anything he really wanted to figure out. That you know, it's not like he couldn't mm-hmm. do these things. It's just that you know his his brain was occupied so much with marketing constantly that you know making it made mundane tasks almost impossible for him to to do because it was impossible for him to take his brain and you know focus long enough on something else mm-hmm. um kevin tell him the porcupine and heat theory because i that the, and i'll tell you why this amazes me well, I, well the porcupine and heat theory i i don't know if it's uh, the way the way he describes the porcupine and heat theory it actually has to do with um um Bizarre people, and you know, selling yeah. them something and upselling them is, you know, because mm-hmm. the porcupine only comes in the heat for 15 minutes a year, and yeah. you just, and when when you find a prospect is hot for something, that's in a certain market like Bizarre, it's it's very short, and you got to jump on it the second it yeah. presents itself. But <clears throat> now this is the part that's amazing to me. My dad's watching, you know, Wild Kingdom from Mutual of Omaha. And what, hearing yeah. about porcupines and heat, and he's thinking about marketing. <laughs> you know, the point is, everything in his life applies to marketing. Mm. You know, and I, you know, people talk to, you know, uh, people have asked um, me questions about, you know, well, you know, are, you know, how much, you know, what do you like with your dad and everything like that, or, you know, how do you become like him? And I always tell people, you don't want to do that. I say, you know, I mean, if you can, you too could become like as as good as he was if you wanted to spend 60 years of your life focused solely on persuasion talking and you know mm. um about marketing and wanting to do nothing but marketing making sure your friends are all marketing oriented but you know looking through looking and seeing how every story applies to being able to tell a story in a sales letter and a sales message which which is very important in a lot of cases um but you know, at, you you have to give up all your life. You know, do, you know, don't take mm. your friend, don't take your kids to baseball meetings. Take them to, um, you know, uh, business meetings. You know, and and he did that with us. You know, I mean, one time he took me out of school. You know, he said, "You're not going to school today," and I said, "Why?" He said, "You can learn whatever you're going to learn in school any you know, tomorrow. You know, th- there's a book that can teach you even if you don't have that. I'm going to go teach you and show you." where the magic happens and how businesses are built, you know, and he took me to a brainstorming session. Um, I was in like fifth grade at the time, fifth or fourth, I forget. But the point is, you know, I mean, you know, he took me and we went down to um, uh, the Cayman Islands, uh, you know, to, he was showing, because he was interested in that time in doing pieces about, you know, people banking there. 
Uh, I remember, yeah. you know, we flew back to, you know, go stay with Ben Suarez, you know, in his guest house. I mean, you know, so the thing, the point that I'm making is, you know, instead of taking your kids to baseball games in Little League, you're actually taking them to seminars on copywriting, mm. you know, um, and you do all of that. And he did it to the point where it was basically to the exclusion of everything else, you know. Mm. And so I always, you know, looked at that and thought, you know, this is great. I, you know, I, I've got the advantage of the fact that, you know, I was able, you know, able to start studying marketing under my father since I was nine. Okay, so that gives me a lot more time in years, but couldn't make up for the fact that, you know, that was his sole interest 24 hours a day, you know. Mm. And so I always tell people, you know, you can think like a marketing genius or you could become a marketing genius, but you don't want, you know, it would be much cheaper for you mm-hmm. to hire a marketing genius. Hire somebody who's yeah. already put in their 100,000 hours, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because, you know, even if it costs you, you know, $15,000 to get a good, you know, great piece of advice or, you know, to or $30,000 to have one of these masters write your ad for you, you know, yeah, that's what you're dollars. really saving. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um uh, that, that's what I, I always uh, try and pass on to clients. Where it's always an investment. To, um, I mean, for for most copywriters around the world, um, uh, you're um, trying to get a return on investment for every job that you do. Um, where, whereas if you're if you're Gary Halbert, you know, um, uh, <laughs> the odds have just gone up for, uh, dramatically that you're going to have a winner. Um, I mean, most of the references that I have uh, heard from of your father have been through um, uh, most of the, the stacks of the Dan Kennedy seminars that, that I've got on the shelf. So um, that's where I, I first uh, came across your father and heard about him, and then uh, through his own products as well. Um, yeah, and we one thing. Yeah, go oh. on. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. Uh, um, one thing I, I remember uh, Dan saying about uh, about your father is uh, um, uh, uh, just the way that um, he was uh, um, the, best, the best copywriter uh, in history uh, when you could get into work, which um, which is uh, it's different from um, uh, what we've been talking about the last last few minutes where. Um, uh, his his entire life obviously revolves around marketing to to a greater extent than than I had even that I had even realised that um, it's another thing uh, uh, knuckling down to work and actually uh, and actually writing the content where um, where you know you, you get to that that sort of level um, you don't need to be working for for eight hours a day um, just like a regular job you know to to get these kinds of results you can. Um, uh, the question I want well, the question I want to ask you about this was uh, um, uh, the the impression that I got uh, of your father was that he was more um, uh, he uh, he wrote coffee in burst he wasn't uh, um, uh, kind of uh, a steady worker he would uh, um, this is the impression I got that he would uh, kind of uh, um, he kind of, uh, for want of a better word, spew out from work and uh, and uh, um, 
that churn out a, a bunch of great copies, and um, you know that that would be uh, um, all he needed to do. Is that uh, is that a fair, fair assumption? I I think it would depend on the project that he was dealing with. If you hired him as a client, let's say that you know you wanted to hire him to sell your services as a copywriter. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, he would he would uh, basically outline, spit out the ad, the headline, and start doing that right away. And he would have, and if you hired him, he could sit down and write most of the copy straight off the bat and go do something else. And the reason is, um, it's like a doctor doing a, a heart surgery. It's not his first go round. You know, after ten or twenty years, you know, he knew how to sell it. But what my father was addicted to doing was making the breakthrough. So he loved yeah. and wh where he was. So he spent 24 hours a day on marketing. But if you hired him as a client, and it, there was no struggle, he knew what the solution was because he had done it so many times before in mm -hmm. different industries. And he was just, you know, you know, he was just looking at you and figuring out what the right twist to market you was. Yeah. He would do that and sit down and do it quickly. But when he put that down and was going off to something else, he was going off to his own projects. He was going off mm. to um, his newsletter. He was going off to, um, you know, to create and to think up new market uh, marketing products, new ideas, and things like that. You mm. know, um, when he did the heraldry letter, he was basically spawning a whole new idea. And then, um, and but he also had the habit of getting bored pretty quickly. So, in other words, you know, after he studied a market, uh, a new market to him, um, you know, you know, created a product uh, as quickly as possible, and made it work, he would then walk on to something else. And this is one of the things that was really kind of strange because. You know, in direct marketing, he taught, and everybody, you know, in direct marketing knows that, a, you know, a huge part of your business is the back end, you know, or, you know, it, so nowadays a lot of it is the upsell, but, you know, it's still also yeah. the money's in the list. And he would, you know, and, every, and so a lot of people would shoot for, and legitimately so, they'd shoot to break even on the front end. You know, and then what they would do is try and make you know the, all their profit on the upsell or the back end because you know um, that it was it's a profitable model. Yeah. And he was always trying to make good money and great money on the front end, the very first shot. You know, the ad. He he would shoot for responses. You know, Kevin and I both <laughs> went to this junior college and we were in different grades and different uh, junior high. Uh, it was a junior high school, and we went to career day. And we both signed up to go to the, you know, we I guess we just both wanted an easy day. <laughs> so we both signed yeah. up to go to the guy who was going to teach direct marketing. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea who we were, of course. <laughs> Kevin's in there. And Kevin, you know, and the guy's sitting there. And then Kevin, Kevin was just wanted to rail on this guy, you know. Yeah. And so, what, Kevin, what did you ask him about percentages, his return? I don't even remember this. You turned around and you asked the guy, you said this was in uh, Lacan. You turned around and said to him, you said, you know, well, <clears throat> what kind of returns do you think is, uh, response do you think is good when you send out a direct mail? <laughs> and the guy said something about like, you know, 0.5% is really a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin turns around and says, yeah. <laughs> My dad gets up to you know like ten percent or some. I thought it was a double digit. You know, this was a long time yeah. ago when he did it. You know, and the guy goes, 
well, no, no, that's just kind of like unrealistic. And Kevin that's says, impossible. Unrealistic. You know, I can't believe you don't remember that, Kevin. You turned around and just said, you know, well, and he says, I think the guy, may, I forget if he asked or if Kevin volunteered, but like, you know, who's your dad? And he said, it's Gary Halbert. And the guy's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I You don't I remember that. that, Kevin? No, I don't. I don't. I remember, I remember... I remember two other stories that were similar to that, which was, was uh, this was the time um, I was sitting at a dinner with a bunch of friends, like 15 people or something like that, and this girl was talking about buying ads, buying traffic or something at, at this birthday party we were all sitting and eating at, and uh, she was talking about how she's doing it, what she was doing. I said, well, you know, uh, my, you know, my dad's in marketing. He he would never do it that way and stuff like that. And she was just looking at me because she's like, I do this for a living, you know. And she's like, who's your dad? And I go, Gary Halbert. And she just looks at me kind of weird. And this girl next to me goes, explodes. And she's just like, oh, my God, I never knew. It was you. I didn't never put the two together. It's your dad and all this other stuff. And this other girl just stopped. She just, you know, she realized, you know, my dad was somebody, but she just didn't know yeah. who it was. And uh, uh, so that blew him away. You know, and we, we knew he was he was a big deal because every time we go to a seminar, you know, he, we would people would come up to us and go, uh, you know, so what's it like to be the son of Gary Halbert, you know? And that was a very yeah. common question. But, yeah, uh, And then uh, there was a time. Do you remember that time, Bon, I crashed, crashed your class? It was a speech class. Um, he was uh, taking a speech class at uh, Santa Monica College. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, he, and he was, and I, you know, he was going to class. He's like, come to class, come to class. We've got a sub. He's never going to know you're there, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I said, fine, I'll go. And so he sat in his class. It turned out it was a test day, and they had – was public speaking? Is that what it was? <laughs> I, I, for, no, I don't know which one I, it was. I think it was public speaking. And I was looking at all this stuff that they had on the questions. I go, that's wrong, but I know what they want me to say. I said, that's wrong, yeah. but I know what they want to say. I came out of class. Yeah. And, I, and I put on this, this uh, fake name, and Bond later on <laughs> said that uh, um, what the teacher said uh, – um, who's this guy Dugan Neal or something? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I remember. I, I I said, oh, I know him. I'll get it. You know, how'd he do? <laughs> yeah, and the guy's like, oh yeah, he got an A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just a, it's amazing how much you could read, you know. And that, that's one of the things, you know. We sit around and, um, you know, people do need to understand that, uh, you know. You don't don't you know, don't want to learn marketing from institutional uh, uh, people. It's just it's just wrong, you know. So I, I you know I always say I'd rather learn from uh, that the guy with the. Is, I don't know if it's got a toupee and gold rings and you know everything who sells Magic Jack or whatever, but you can tell that's a dyed in the wool direct mail mm-hmm. face to, or direct response face to face you know uh, marketer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I went to college, you know, um, and studied, you know, business in college. I got a degree, a five-year degree in international business administration, which was considered uh, at the university a marketing degree. And um, my dad was always asking, so what are you doing, how you learn it, you know, what are you learning? And um, he was so proud. I think he even wrote about his newsletter because, you know, I turned to him and he's like, well, how how did that go? I go, well, you know, it's college. I didn't expect more, you know, because um, – and I said, you know, I you could learn more from hanging out with you for one week than you're going to learn yeah. in this thing in you know four years. 
Mm. And because uh, they had, an, I did take this. Well, there was this one course called Entrepreneurial Course, and I was impressed that they had one. Um, <laughs> because this is back in the day when nobody even bothered to teach direct marketing institutional life mm. ever. And um, and the uh, the guy sets up this field trip, and he's all super proud because we're going to go see his his legend and his mentor, the guy he really wants to show off that he's connected to, Joe Cosman. And um, so we're all going to take this field trip out to Palm Springs. And I was talking to my dad as I did every day. I'm like, yeah, i got to go out to Palm Springs. Yeah, you know Joe Cosman? And he's like, oh, yeah, tell him I said hello. (laughs) (laughs) So we go out there. There's this long line of kids, you know, that are coming up to meet him. And after he's, you know, given a little talk and all this other stuff. And and the the other guy, my teacher is actually sitting, you know, just behind him and to the left and stuff like that. And he has no idea, you know, and I'm, and I'm not, you know, Kevin and I are not doing any of this for shock value, you know, I'm mm. staying in the back of the line because I don't want everybody to go, ah, oh, you know, and do this kind of figuring out thing. And they come up and they, um, you know, and I said, you know, hey, uh, my dad says hello. And he says, who's your dad? I said, Gary Halber. He goes, oh, I love your dad. He's kind of like, you know, wanting me to sit down and talk with him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was just, it was like, you know, and that's uh, you know that's when the other guy, the teacher, and everybody kind of like realized who I was. But you know, the thing is that that you know at that time this was be you know um, by that time the Boren letters had already been out, but it wasn't a, as widely published, and you know they weren't available on the web yeah. um, the way they are now. So you know at that point you know you know it just appears that we're just his children, you know. Mm. Um, you know, and just because, you know, you're Frank Sinatra's kid doesn't mean that you're necessarily a singer, you know. Yeah. So they want to ask you more questions about that. And then, you know, uh, uh, later on I was working on a project with um, with a guy I know, and one of the people who we had um, helping us with the project came up to me one night and was asking me all these questions and getting all excited and all this. And I, and I looked and I'm like, you Googled my name, didn't you? She goes, yeah, you bet I did. <laughs> So now she's trying to get as much information out of me as she can. Because the truth is, you know, Kevin and I have been preaching this a lot lately, but we've known it all our lives because we've been preached too all our lives, which is people follow the advice that they pay for. You know, if you don't Mm -hmm. pay to get into a mastermind group, you're not going to follow through nearly as much as, you know, to one that you will. You know, and, you know, one lady, I I gave her a piece of advice you know, and I don't know. I mean, she may have Googled my name or whatever, but I had never expressed or told her about basically what I do. And she, but she followed my advice, and I saw, talked to her a couple of weeks later, and she's like, "Man, you know, you know, you helped save my business completely from you know total destruction. I followed your advice, and it worked like a charm. And I did, you know, did this and this and that. And I was stunned." And the reason I was stunned was not that what I had said worked. It was that she had followed my advice for free without knowing who I was, you know, or at least I, I think that she didn't know who I was. Um, you know, but then, you know, recently I had a client who, you know, he, you know, had, uh, hired me for a consultation. We did the consultation. And, you know, um, with, he was all excited, you know, which, uh, you know, and then he's like, 
you know, this is great. I'm getting all my money's worth in less than the first 15 minutes of this, you know, and he's taking mm-hmm. furious notes. But the very next day, he had a completely rewritten sales letter that was 10 times better right. than the one that, that we started working on, but it was done by the next day and had more questions for it. You know, and I was like, wow, now that's, you know, that's, you know, that's a go-getter. That's somebody who's following, you know, following, listening, and paying along, or paying attention and following along. So, you yeah, know, it's, I mean, it was, you know, it was one, it's one of those situations. And so now, you know, I always have a phrase that I like to say, which is, you know, as Gary Halbert's offspring, you know, having the last yeah. name Halbert opens up a lot of doors, a lot of marketing yeah. doors. But, you know, and so Halbert, the last name Halbert, will get you in the door, but you have to prove you're a Halbert to stay in the door. Yeah. You know? And, you know, Kevin does it. Um, you know, we go to mastermind meetings, and, you know, somebody will invite us in because they're like, you know, because you're Gary Halbert's kid. And, um, you know, but then after, you know, but after the meeting, you know, we're on breaks, they'll be coming up to us telling us about, you know, hey, you know, that idea you were talking about, can you tell me more, or this and that. You know, and it happens to us, you know, mastermind meetings all the time. But, you know, and to us, it's, it's you know, it's, it's rote. It's what you know by rote. It's not, you know, it's not mysterious or anything else. It's, you know, um, you know Kevin, for example, Kevin and I will listen to some guy telling us his story of his business and telling us his thing. And or we'll look over his copy, and it'll be like three three quarters of the way through a nine-page sales letter, and we'll see this one little thing, and we're both we both automatically know by instinct what this needs to be your headline. You know, yeah. this is your best benefit. This is where you're really getting to the core emotions of everybody. This needs to come up. You know, uh, but the other thing that's kind of cool is the way Kevin and I, because Kevin and I are different, is if you gave us both. You said, "Here's a widget, and I want you. To, I want you to um, tell me how to market it." Um, Kevin and I will look at it separately, you know, and we will come back with different ideas on how to market it. And I, you know, his ideas are good. I, I think they are, and I, you know, I think my ideas are good too. <laughs> but they will be different. Um, but there are certain things that you know will not change. Like you know, if we're if, you know if we're editing somebody's copy, doing a copy critique or something like that, <laughs> you know, we will both be right on the same thing. You know, because nobody has you know nobody has read more Gary Halbert material than us, because you know his failures or his even his successful ones, but you know in small markets they're not out there. You know, we're the. You know, we had to listen to everyone in the car. Mm. You know, we got the phone calls all the time. So I mean, you know, going from from A to B. I mean, my dad had us. Um, I remember sitting around with him having me predict results, and I think it might have been to motivate me to continue predicting them. He's like, you know, you're actually, you know, I was about 11 at the time. He's like, you're one of the better predictors. But what I, you know, what I learned to do by that time, and Kevin knows it too, is after listening to, you know, a thousand people come up to Gary Halbert and say, how should I market this? And he'll ask a few questions. You know, you learn to listen to what he's listening for. You yeah. know, you learn to listen for that USP, for that story. You, you mm-hmm. kind of, you, you, you learn to understand what it is that was triggering, you know, um, you know, that my dad was trying to dig out of somebody. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, you, you, that's what you – that's the skill you eventually get. 
You know, I mean, so the, so the thing is, you can't spend 10,000 hours studying Gary Halbert ads with Gary Halbert <laughs> and, and not end up thinking a little bit like him, you know, when it comes to writing copy and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's why I'm talking to you guys today. I mean, I haven't uh, organized this thing just so I could hear some uh, Gary Halbert stories as... Uh, as uh, I would do that anyway, but uh, <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you both of you guys as uh, um, individual successful marketers. I mean, I'm looking at to your uh, uh, site here, bondhalbert.com, oh. and uh, just scrolling scrolling through that, I saw one post that that uh, caught my eye. Um, uh, proof I'm Gary Halbert's kid, <laughs> and it's basically about the. Uh, the letters that you wrote in like one hour, um, or something at uh, Joe Polish's Platinum Marketing Group for Carpet Cleaners. Oh, you apparently. like those, huh? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so you can uh, um, put together these uh, uh, few letters here in a heartbeat that are um, that are ten times better than uh, most everything else, which is uh, uh, yeah. The reason I, I'm uh, uh, talking to you guys is uh, individual successful marketers. Well, you know the the lesson for that, and the re- you know my dad wrote his letters really quickly too, mm. and you know where Kevin and I probably spend the most time is in the editing process, you know. Yeah. But and Kevin mentioned and alluded to it earlier in this in this uh, conversation. It's it's on the walk. That's where the magic happens. You know the thing is. Um, and this goes back to what my, you know, you know, with Dan mentioning that, you know, Gary will work when you can get him to work. Mm. The thing, the way that it works is this: if, you know, a, a good copywriter or good, will consider himself first and foremost a great marketer. My dad didn't really, you know, my dad um, at first was focused in on being a good copywriter, and then when he wanted to start yeah. his own businesses and do it for himself, and you know, stop taking clients every once in a while. He yeah. wanted, you know, it was more based on marketing. And so, you know, the, um, there's a letter uh, that he wrote called The Big Idea. And I try yeah. and, you know, explain this to people all the time too, which is, you know, um, there's two ways to write copy. Um, there is, you know, there, in my opinion, there is the formula copy. And you can do this. You know, you can, and I'm putting together um, one with some resources that Kevin and I both use. One is a questionnaire that you use to ask yourself about products or you use to ask other people about their services to extract yeah. all the intel that would be interesting to us. Extract yeah. your story, extract, you know, the, yeah. the basis and the, and the theory behind your product, what makes it better, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then we, um, you know, there are outlines you can use. And the outline will, you know, tell you, okay, with the headline, you need to input, insert a shocking statement or a fantastic testimonial or, yeah. you know, whatever that happens to be. And then, you know, you can plug in that stuff. And then um, the part a lot of people don't know, which is the, which is more or less the one that is more of a creation of ours, which is how to clean up that copy and make it flow. Make it flow in a way mm. that people can't help but not want to read. At the end of each paragraph, they kind of are just dying to read the next paragraph. Like they can't stop. Yeah. But that's kind of like all doing it by formula. Which is better than what most people are doing out there anyway. You know, yeah, most sure. most college grads are giving you mm. garbage, you know, for copy, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
But the the real way is focusing in on the big idea. You know, you're taking, you absorb that product. Um, you you know, you really put your mindset your mindset into that what the customer is. You figure out what are those emotions that are driving that guy. You know, when um, you know. Uh, you know, when you're selling a product to help children become better in school, you're not really in, – in reality, it's – you know, you can make some money selling them on, you know, and your child will be better here and make more money um, yeah. later on in the future and be better off in life. But what you're really selling is a cure for their fear that their child will fail or the fear exactly. that their child will fall into drugs or their – you know. So the, but the thing is you put your mind in that. You absorb all the information. And then you go about your business. And, you know, for me, most, you know, a lot of the, and this is the thing, a lot, you'll hear a lot of copywriters say their aha moments come in the shower, you know. Yeah. And the reason is, is the shower is where they've already been absorbed with everything, but they're letting their mind relax and taking a break for a moment. Well, yeah. what we do, uh, we do it on purpose is, you know, we absorb all of that stuff and everything like that and then go take a nice long walk, you know. And then, you know, I've never gone out with with a problem that I've had um, uh, marketing-wise, you know, or even a logistic or a regular life problem on a good good walk after putting my mind, you know, absorbing all the data and all the intel and then coming back and not and not come back with a with a solution or a, at the very minimum a good game plan, you know, mm. and that's one of the you know that the and so you know my dad always said it and I kind of say it too, which is the copywriting is not that hard, you know. Uh, one one gentleman called me up and said, Hey, did you write this letter that came with this? And I said, Yeah. And he said, You know, I got to tell you, you write like your dad. It's like you're right there in the room with me, and I'm thinking in my head. Why wouldn't I write to you like you're right there in the room with me? Why why wouldn't I make it, you know, kind of smooth, you know, you yeah. know, and, and you know they tested my dad's uh, vocabulary one time, you know, with an SAT type oh, okay. score, and didn't it, it was really high, right, Kevin? It was like it was off the charts. It, it was off the charts. Yeah. You would never know that if you were reading his copy. You yeah. would never know that his vocabulary was, you know, was as extensive as anybody else you've ever read, you've ever met. Yeah, he. the only time he used a big word is if you used it in a sentence. He would use it back to prove it. And I don't even know that he did it to prove it. Maybe you got him on the, you know, you, mm. it was the word you were using, so he used it to communicate back to you. But, mm. yeah, he would never use a 50-cent word, as it's called, you know. He just didn't. He didn't care about that, and the reason was was he was a uh, voracious reader of fiction. And if you look at the guys Carlton and Kern and everybody else, that you know, they're all yeah. big fiction readers. They're big, yeah. you know. There's, you know, I think there's several things in common that I'm learning. One of one of which escapes my dad as far as marketing is one is they're a big fiction reader. They love movies and they love stories. Yeah. The one thing that's uncommon is that we realize that all of them like music and our musicians <laughs> we learned that at the green room <laughs> at carlton's everybody played guitar in the green room after the summer yeah. um that was because i i because john carlton i knew for years said uh you know he played guitar he's been playing for all his life all this other stuff i said i've known you since i was a teenager i've never seen you play guitar and i drove a guitar down to the, to the, to the seminar and made him play it and then <laughs> 
and then he, he sat down, and he looked at me, and he goes, okay. And he, he plays off a couple riffs, riffs and stuff, and he goes, cool. Yeah. I go, okay, that's great. You know, I, I think I might have even taken a picture of him or something. And he set it down. Everybody went back to the main room and started partying. And then one by one, everybody went in that room and picked up that guitar, and it turned into this crazy party where security had to come in and tell us to keep it down and stuff. And, yeah. and John came back on and was playing all night. You know, But, I mean, yeah, Kevin was right. I mean, it was like if there was 14 copywriters or market, copywriters in the room, like 10 of them were Ten playing guitar. Were playing. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> but you know one thing? You notice one thing about those songs that they chose, Kevin? They're story songs. Yeah. You know, that, that, so that's part of the fiction thing. It's part of the, you know, stories are really important part of the process because a story, you know, um, helps build trust. It helps people get to know, like, and trust the reader. So, you know, when you're, when you're tell, um, when Claude Hopkins told everybody the story of how beer was made, and what company did he do that for, Kevin? I Schlitz. think it was Schlitz, but I've heard something yeah. else. Okay, well, you know, when he did, yeah, when he did that, he's proving their expertise and knowledge. He's getting them to know them, you know, and they're and the, because of the story that's going on, you know, he, you know, they're bonding with the, you know, yeah. the the company. Yeah. And so stories are often a really big part of marketing, and you know, and so it's one of the reasons that I think the guys who are into stories um, are actually good. At, you know, at writing sales letters and, you know, creating mm. sales videos that explain things. And um, so, you know, there, there's a fiction adaptation to it, you know. Um, and, you know, what I loved about my dad, and I miss greatly, was, you know, my, for reading, everybody values their reading time more than any other. You know, I could mm. sit down and ask you to, um, I, you know, and that's why it's so important to have that, that copy written in a way that it's like a grease slide where people just, you know, can look at the subhead and say, that's what I'm interested in and fall right into the copy mm. with the paragraph right below it. Or they can wow. be the kind of person that starts at the top and wants to read every word and they say, I'm going to read this till I, you know, till I get yeah. the gist and then I'm going to go on. Yeah. And you don't want them to stop, right? Till they get, till you get to, the, you've got their attention first, mm. their interest, their desire, and then you really pump it up and then you push them to act. Um, <clears throat> But you know the the uh, you know the the storytelling um, I'll kind of lose my train of thought the the story training um, you know the storytelling part is super hard uh, but when you when you when you uh, back to the uh, the valuing your reading time if I turned around and asked you and I said hey Brian I've got a uh, I got a uh, I've got a commercial I want you to watch or a television show that I think is great. I want you to give it a shot. Here's the disc. Please let me know tomorrow. You know, you'll probably pop that in and at least, you know, maybe give it 10 minutes. If I say, you know, I have a song I want you to listen to. It'll only take three minutes and I give you that MP3. You're going to pop it on and say, okay, well, let's see if I like it. And you'll probably determine whether or not you want to turn it off in about 60 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. If I say, here's a 12-page sales letter I want you to read. You'll say, oh, okay, you know, I'll get to that when I have time, tomorrow on Monday maybe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everybody puts it off. <laughs> you know, and people value their reading time so, you know, so much. So you have to be really good when it comes to, you know, that's why, you know, and the attention span of people for that is getting shorter and shorter. Mm. You know, you're getting fewer and fewer people who, you know, 
the number of the population may grow enough to make it look like the number of readers is staying the same, but the percentage of people that you know that read for entertainment has been dropping since before I was born. You know, because yeah. you know, because you know, people used to read. You know, you talk to your grandfather, and he's you know, like, why'd you do this? Oh, I was inspired by this book, Call of the Wild, and you know, I read it five times, yeah. and I went out to do this. You know, and I myself, you know, there's, you know, I, I value my reading time too, and I'm like, there's so many books to read. Why would I reread any of them? You know, mm. and I don't reread books. Um, there's a, only I've read a few of the James Bond books a couple times because they're smaller. Yeah. You know, and it was and it was like 20 years since I had read them before. Um, but there was a couple my dad reread all the time. Um, you know, the the big, you know, um, and a couple he demanded that he always had a copy of, like the the Robert Collier letter book or the you know Claude yeah. Hopkins scientific well, advertising. That's a good. There's a good explanation for why that that declining interest is is in existence, and that was that um, back in the day. Um, you know, books and books were our, were our sitcoms. They were our television. You know, mm-hmm. people couldn't afford. You know, first it was radio. You know, and you know it was a luxury to get a radio, and then it was a luxury to get a TV. You know, and radio. You know, even went into it, which I think I think is a big thing that we're missing today in in um, uh, radio or podcasts and stuff. Was you know back in the radio days, they had shows like The Shadow. And stuff like that, mm. and there's so much. And Bond knows this because I'm a, like a, a big Kindle fan, and I realize one of the big things that I'm a fan of on the Kindle is is that you can push this button, and if they have it enabled, you can have the Kindle read you the book. Now I okay, found out I the reason my some of my friends don't like it is because they're reading novels and the computer reading novels, and it sounds very very close to human. It doesn't it doesn't carry the inflection of the story. Yeah. But but when you have it reading like I'll have it read me scientific advertising like five times. It's perfect. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. Wow. And you know, Robert Collier's letter book was written about a lot about selling books. It was about selling, you know, O. Henry and other collections of, you know, great novelists and stuff like that. Mm. And so the storytelling was that was their craft. And um the and so you know, people they, they, the nice thing about it is, if you do get people into it, you know their imagination it takes over, and you know the the way you even describe the story, they fill in the blank in their mind. But um, one of the things that um, I lost my uh, um, train of thought here, the um, uh, with the storytelling. Oh yeah, the storytelling. You know now. I heard Jay Abraham say this, but you know this has been used in marketing. You know before then, was um, uh, if actually it was Craig Clemens who was giving a talk to our group. It was an awesome uh, presentation on a breakdown of an ad, and he was talking about. He said, you know, Jay Abraham says, um, you know, you can really convince people if you can uh, describe their pain better than they can, you know, mm. and in such words and details and stuff, and. It, it really is true, you know. If you look at like Lazy Man's Way to Riches, if you look at um, Seven Steps to Freedom, these ads that were written by Joe Carbo and um, 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 Ben Suarez and stuff like that, you know, you really see these people. And or uh, the Amazing Diet Secret of a Desperate Housewife. Any of these, they're really they're really telling you a. a personal story and they're really getting people into it and I and I actually have a different way of describing it you know my dad was really good at 
saying some of the things, but describing it in a way that people would remember. Like, you know, he had things like starving crowd and players with money yeah. and all those definitions. And for me, this definition <clears throat> of this thing of telling this story, I, I call it, you know, strumming my pain, you know. And yeah. if you ever heard that song uh, played by Roberta Flack, and it was actually written by, uh, I believe, Neil Diamond, um, you really realize, you know, here's this guy up on stage, and he's telling the story, but the person who's in the audience is like, that's my story, mm. you know. And yeah. if, you can, if you can tell that reader their story, you know, if you can deliver them, you know, to, you know they, they immediately become, get in parallel with you, you know, yeah. and going down that copy and going to the end where the logical conclusion is to, is to buy whatever. You know, yeah, the, the, my one uh, one of my clients was giving me a piece that was about credit repair, and in the letter I'm like, you know, you need to mention here about you know the worry about not worrying about whether or not you can get a new apartment if your credit's been damaged, and you need to mm -hmm. talk to them about you know now you have the embarrassing problem of not being able to rent a car because you don't have a credit card, mm -hmm. you know, and these are other aspects that go beyond you know the price of the loan of the when you do get back on your feet and get a house again. You know, and it's it's Kevin's 100% right. You need to explain it to them. And, and the reason I explained it that way in that that portion in that that consult was because these people aren't thinking about that right 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 away, or they might be thinking about two but not three. And what you're doing is they're they're going, yeah, that is exactly you know that's what it's like. It's embarrassing that I can't get that I don't have a car. You know, I can't rent a car because I don't have a credit card. You understand that? Oh, wait a minute. You mean this is going to also affect my affect my uh, car insurance rates, even though I'm not paying with a credit card? So you're you're so what Kevin's talking about? You're you're explaining their pain better than they do, <laughs> and um, and he's you know he's totally right about that. And back to the you know Kevin converted me to a Kindle addict, and. Um, you know, I you know, my, I, and I said, oh, let's you know, and I was showing my wife. I said, yeah, and it can read to you. And I put that thing on, and I go, so if you want Stephen Hawking's to read your books to you because it's a computerized <laughs> voice, <laughs> you know, unless unless it was an audio book that was recorded by a certain person. Mm. But, well, let let me defend that for the audience because they might walk away thinking Stephen Hawking deliberately kept his old, I don't know, it was Bell Technologies or AT and T voice. Yeah. That that's old school because it became his signature. It was associated with him so much. But the the Kindle actually does read to you with much better inflection. Oh, okay. oh it does. It just sounds yeah. a little. It, 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 I don't mean to take away from that, and I'm sorry if, yeah. if anybody got the idea that you shouldn't listen to it on the Kindle. <laughs> well, and just another thing is is that you know the Kindle is so convenient because you can turn it on. Like I plug it into my. I have a jack that goes right into the stereos and stuff. And while I'm yeah. driving, most you know, a lot of books that were written by people that aren't released in an audio series, I'm you know clicking on play. And unfortunately, um, unfortunately, you know, and fortunately, I when I go to buy books, I look to see if it's got the speech enabled, you know, and that sometimes mm -hmm. helps me, you know, uh, figure out that I, that book I'm actually going to buy instead of that one, even though the other one might be better. Because there's an open time slot in my car. And, and back know. to the book thing, what I was uh, also was saying, and uh, was you know my dad read so much, and because I value value my reading time, what I would do is ask people who I respected, what's the what's one of your favorite books of all time, and they'd tell me, and I'd go read it, and then if I read the book and I liked it, I would come back and ask them for more books. 
Well, I didn't ask anybody for more books than my dad. We shared books all the time. And the funny thing is, you know, so he'd say, Bon, you got to get this book and you got to read this one. And I'm reading, you know, and I would sometimes call him and say, hey, you know, what, you know, what, give me another great book. And he'd go, oh, this one. And sometimes his whole love of a book was around one scene in the book. And he would read that scene over again. I've actually had him read scenes of a book to me. Um, you know, one example, you know, he had, uh, some of them were just filled with it. Like he, he reread a couple of times the Godfather and loved it. And, you know, and a lot of people say it and it's, and it's very true. The Godfather is actually one of the better business books of all time, even though it's a fiction book, if you take the lessons, but mm-hmm. there was a, um, such men are dangerous, you know, not, a, it wasn't mm-hmm. a hugely popular book and everything, but my dad just loved the part of the ending scene that was in that book. And so, you know, he would say, you got to read this book and, you know, and the book all built up to understanding that scene, so I read the whole book and things like that. It's one of the things that, you know, that definitely miss about that, you know, not having that around because, you know, you can't, you know, you can't spend, you know, you know, 38 years being raised by somebody, being taught by somebody, going over all their look, sharing their lives, you know, reading, you know, getting book suggestions, watching the same type of movies and everything else and not coming out and thinking a little bit like them. You know, mm, okay. yeah, and yeah. so when that's taken away from you, you're kind of like, oh, this is, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I gotta, I gotta sift through a lot of people to find people to suggest books for me again. Well, <laughs> uh, there's two things that I do differently. I mean, slight, well, slight modification is one thing is I ask everyone what their books are that they should read, that they think that you know I should read in, in regards to whatever topic. And yeah. but what I do is I stash that away, and then I ask three other people, and because there's going to be so many books. And there's only so much time that I w- I'll find the one that sure. keeps getting repeated, and that's but, okay. Everybody but, said to read that one. So and the I difference go. between us is what yeah. Kevin's talking about is like you know a good a good book in marketing. I'm talking about the fiction books. Right now, when yeah. it comes to the fiction book, there's two books I have I bought instantly because, and I have not had time to read them because they're not Kindle enabled. Uh, that he recommended, I think on the I think on the business side, even though they're fiction, was one called Dirty White Boys. And another one called The Closers. Um, is Dirty White Boys by Randy Wayne White? Might be. I don't know. That was one of his. Uh, that was one of his favorite authors, along with John D. McDonald, obviously Ian Fleming. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, because um, I, I read a lot of Randy Wayne White books because me and him read them together. And, I, and it was a lot. You know, by the way, it was a lot. It was a lot based on you know the location and stuff. He, he's, you know, that all took place. A lot of that. The both of those series took place in South Florida, where he was living. And you know, one thing I think my dad had in common with a lot of people, and definitely with me, is the desire to go see places that you read about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he he you know he would you know people you know people I don't know why people would even think you know be surprised by it they're like you know oh you're really named after James Bond <laughs> you know and I'm thinking you know did you think I was named after like the bonding process of marketing or something <laughs> like that you know or but, a bio bondsman yeah but you know he was such a big fan you know he went and sat at the desk that where Ian Fleming wrote some of the books in his estate Golden Eye in Jamaica. And went specifically to visit the bauxite mine where they, in Jamaica where they filmed Doctor No, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know. So I mean, he he really loved a good story. And I know that yeah. we're getting off of marketing here. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, it's all it's all uh, um, uh, still quite relevant to marketing. I mean, 
whenever I read one of your dad's sales letters or um, one of his uh, various products, you know, his stories above all others uh, are the ones that have me, you know, um, putting myself into the story and uh, and imagining it happening to me or around me. And, um, you know, they're the, they're the most... Uh, um, compelling uh, not just sales letters but uh, but uh, uh, books and products as well um, simply for that reason you know he's such a great storyteller and um, and uh, you know on this call today it's uh, um, yeah, you know it's, you know nowadays when people start a newsletter you know it's it's a struggle to get something really com you know say something as really intriguing or compelling to get them in the subject line to get them to open the email yeah. Um, you know, but you know, my dad's list had this huge group of people who would, you know, couldn't wait for the letter to come and you know, yeah. they'd you know, they'd set aside a certain time when the kids are asleep and, you know, open up yeah. pour themselves a glass of wine and, you know, sit back and get ready to just be you know, to just enjoy it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, you know, that that comes from being a good storyteller. Mm. You know, I mean, you have you've got to be a very good storyteller when people, you know, there were there are some books that I've read that are so good. They're such page turners. And then, you you know, you're it's OK. If a story's bad and you're reading a book, but, you, you know, you're compulsive, like you have to finish the book or you have to finish it because you're you know in a class and somebody's demand, you know, you've got to finish it. Yeah. Um, you're sitting there me measuring how much more of this do I have to read? Yeah. Know, four more <laughs> chapters. If the book is really good, you're looking at that going, oh, my God, there's only a chapter left, you know. <laughs> mm. Mm. You know, and I've actually had some books where that were so good, and I knew that this was the end of the book and everything, and I'm like, okay, I'm saving that last chapter. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't want to just burn through that while I'm sitting and waiting in the doctor's office, <laughs> you know. I want to, you know, I want to finish that, you know, in a, off in a good mood. But, I mean, it has to be a really fantastic book for that to happen. But that really is the difference between good storytelling and bad storytelling. Good storytelling, yeah. you know, you don't want it to end. You know, you don't, mm. you don't, you know, you really don't want those newsletters to stop coming. You really, you know, wish that there was, you know, more. Yeah. Um, bad storytelling, exactly. you can't wait for it to get over to get <laughs> through it. Yeah, that's uh, um, the challenge of every copywriter, I think, to get those kinds of stories out of their clients. And... Um, that's uh, um, obviously uh, um, one of my challenges as well, um, to get them to understand the importance of their stories, because most of them want to recite their facts and figures, um, you know, and, and how good their product is and the benefits, if they know something about marketing. But uh, um, what I want is the stories. Uh, um, did your dad have any uh, specific technique or strategy to really get those stories out of the clients? Sure, um, but you know, the, but nowadays it's even more refined. Um, you know, my dad would sit down and he would say, "Okay, tell me about your product and read." And then he would ask probing questions that were going to get closer to what he wanted. And so he would yeah. obviously ask, you know, well, how did you learn this? You know, yeah. where was this discovered? You know, and so forth. And he was innately asking the questions that were more interesting to people. Um, but nowadays, you can do things like. Um, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, you can look at some great questionnaires that are put together by people. You know, earlier I was talking about, you know, how, you know, I've got a series of questions, you know, that you can yeah. ask people. And it's actually pieced together 
out of um, and brought, you know, it's kind of an amalgamation of other people's, you know, questions other people have put together. And then, mm. you know, with my own twist and stuff like that. But, you know, I think one of the best ones that I've ever read, I think, is in Gary Benzavinga's um, uh, material where he, you know, where he, he you know, because Gary Benzavinga is you know, just top, 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 top notch. But, yeah. uh, but you know, he's, a, he's much more of, um, you know, a, a nine-to-five copywriter in the fact that, you know, he's you know probably got this and this is by the way i don't know for a fact but he's much more of a you know by the numbers this is you know i'm going to extract this intel we're going to do this we're going to do that my dad had was just more intuitive about what he did mm. you know everybody assumed that my dad or i knew all about nlp or didn't need nlp because it just came naturally and mm. you know the truth is never studied a lick of it you know, yeah. um, knew what it was, but, you know, never studied a lick of it. So when my dad, you know, so I guess here's my advice. The, the answer is yes. My dad would have, you know, a certain series of questions in his mind, but he would naturally go to where he wants to get, get the prospect yeah. or the client talking. But at, yeah. tell them, get all of their, you know, let them get all their cool facts and USPs out. And then he would ask the probing questions. And based on the mm. answers, probe and get a little bit deeper and always stop and listen to their story. You know, um, whereas I, you know, I'm always afraid that I'm going to miss something. So, you know, I go, th you know, I'd rather go through a checklist of questions. Mm. You know, like, uh, you know, where where does this product come from? Um, you know, where were you born? You know, and the, and and you're right. You know, because you know, when you sit down and talk with, and you're trying to get that information out of somebody. You know, people who came and you know, you know, and they they would say, okay. You know, I'm here to answer your – I know you must have a lot of questions, so I want to set aside this time, you know, so you can ask me, you know, anything you want about my product and the service, what we do and everything. Go ahead. I'm an open book. I'll give you anything you want to know. Then he'd start, you know, you, you ask them the question, okay, tell me, you know, where did you learn this? How did you get the expertise? Tell me about the doctor that you're, that you're telling me about and so forth. And when you ask them the story about their lives or something like that, they get that – kind of like stunned look in their like like in their yeah. eyes oh i wasn't expecting a question like that why the hell are you asking me that and they don't <laughs> well, get I, it i think there's the two other questions are you know why did you get into this you know mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. why was it invented oh my my mother was suffering from this or something of that nature um also i think i think the other way to get the story is to say who's your biggest fan of your product you know who's who's you know a customer or something like that because um, that customer is going to have a story of why they why that mm. that product is so loved by them. Yeah, so I, I, think I guess. Hmm? Uh, I was just going to say, um, it strikes me that uh, um, most uh, product inventors and creators uh, probably never really have been asked before, you know, why was the product invented? Uh, why, why, you know. Um, are you bringing this product to market? So um, that, that's where they get the, uh, um, uh, the surprise from. But you know, that's also what follows after that would be uh, um, the big idea, and that's obviously where um, uh, your um, your dad was uh, so good at getting those stories out of people. But imagine that you guys. Um, uh, I think you were alluding to it before, Bond. We've uh, refined the process somewhat. With your checklists? 
yeah, no, we had to, you know, I mean, because, you know, the, like I said, I don't ever want to try and be my dad, you know, because mm. I don't, like I said, I don't want to put 300 hours a week, <laughs> you know, into the study of it. So for me, it's, you know, it's much easier to just have that list of questions to do it because it's not as intuitive as it was. Mm. Mm. Is that, I think, uh, I mean, is, are you no. asking for something that's particular that was written on his checklist? Uh, nothing in particular. I'm after oh, okay. the the the, uh, uh, the strategy. So, though, um, you know, I've, I've got uh, um, we've still got plenty of time. If uh, whatever you guys can share with us, but uh, um, but I wanted to um, get your guys' thoughts on on how to get those stories out of people. And uh, oh well, you know, uh, you know what you should do is. Um, you know, I mean, especially in your interview process, you should go around and, you know, ask, you know, ask all the top copywriters and everybody say, you know, what are the questions yeah. that you would ask? And there's going to be overlap. You know, um, yeah. I think Ben Zavinga was the one who turned me on to the idea of asking about what's this product made of and why. Okay. Mm. Um, you know, my dad would ask, you know, why, how, why did you get into this? You know, because then he's, you know, getting into a story. He's getting to their to their evolution. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I would I would ju I would just go back further because the thing is, the further back you go into the story, the better you are. There's a there's a, a copywriting guy I know. Okay, and uh, me and him are good friends, and you know, he um, I run things by him. You know, you know, he's my sounding board, and he runs them by me. And we've you know, ch I've changed quite a bit of the stuff that he's done. But, you know, I asked him um, about stuff all the way going back to when he was born. Found out that he was born um, like, you know, uh, a preemie, you know, half blind and all of this other stuff. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> you need to kind of sell that story, you know. <laughs> you know, because, one, it's that, it's that whole aspect of if this half blind, you know, underweight preemie, you know, guy can, can do this. Um, you can too, but you know it's also part of the reasoning. You say, you know, I said, you know, and he didn't. This is the part, you know, he understood the story part because he's, you know, he does mm. copywriting, so he understood that yep. why his he's not shocked why I'm asking about his story. He also understood that you know come from behind, like you know, there there's a hobby site that I created with my daughter to teach you know teach her online marketing, and she's gotten a mm. few checks, but not a lot yet. But it, it's actually yeah. turning popular, so it might be monetized. Um, we might monetize it more because there's a million ways to do it. But, yeah. you know, I always have in the back of my mind that if she really takes on this task and she does much better with it, that, you know, I can create a course called How to Teach Your 10-Year-Old to Be an Online Marketer and Make More Money Than yeah. You Do, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's that, it's that if a 10-year-old can do it, I can do it, Right. Yeah. So there, that aspect he knew. But with the part that I connected up and changed was I said, you know, you should talk about how because of your senses, you know, just everybody understands that, you know, if you're partially blind that you're more attuned to your ears, to sound, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, you know, you could be more into the story. That's why, you know, and if not being able to see distant-wise but seeing up close, you might be more into reading, into, you know. And this is this is where you know you're you're focus, you're more singularly focused and that's what makes you a better copywriter you know what i'm saying and mm -hmm. it's true and he didn't really kind of connect us up at first you know 
he's like, you know, and even though he's always sending me, you know, like music clips off of video, I mean, off of YouTube, yeah. he, this guy is really into music, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, the, and, you know, and that's kind of the reasoning why. But then, you know, so the thing, one of the things for me, you know, my answer will be get them to go back further and further. And another real big key is to listen. And when they say something that's really piquing your interest, you know, it, that's the other thing the marketers need to understand. If something piques your interest, it piques other people's interest. Mm. You know, you, you know, um, you hear that a rug, somebody paid $1.2 million for a rug. That piques mm. my interest. I yeah. got to know why. <laughs> you know, what makes that so damn special? And then, you know, the, the things that are, that are curious to me, I assume are going to be curious to other people are good for the story, especially if I'm excited about the answer. So for me, the answer is, one, go back further than they think that they want to go. You know, I don't want to hear just about when you started developing the product. I want to know, you yeah. know, what's your background first? You know, because a lot of times the story is interesting in the fact that, you know, um, this, this marketer, this fantastic guy who has this breakthrough system, or, you know, he could have a breakthrough system for anything, you know, I mean, he could come up with a diet product or a special exercise program or anything, but you find out, you know, he was a trucker, and, you know, and you say, you know, um, you know, X trucker has, you know, you know, discovers the amazing secret to exercising in, you know, while sitting at, you know, uh, that, you know, while sitting at your desk, you know, mm. because the guy was on the, on the road for, you know, 20, you know, uh, or, you know, for 18, you know, 12 hours a day driving a big rig, you know, and working on a schedule, there wasn't a lot of time. So he, you know, um, he got more and started to get out of shape. And then he started to do, learn more about isometric exercises, et cetera. You know, and I'm just, that's just pulling, I'm just pulling an example out of my head. <laughs> you know, I don't know anybody who's done that. But the point is, you know, you, there's, there, you go back far enough then you can do you can you also find ways to tie them in. So one one of the things that I'd suggest is go back further than you think you do, than you think you need to. Mm. You know, I mean, you you know, for Kevin and I, you know, a lot. You know, I think the interesting part of our story starts when we were really young. You know, yeah. I was walking and I love to tell this story. Kevin's probably rolling his eyes, going, "Not again, Vaughn." <laughs> <laughs> but I was walking down the street with my dad in Santa Monica. We were going to his favorite coffee shop. You know, he called it our coffee shop, but we were going to his favorite yeah. coffee shop for breakfast. <laughs> and I, you know, and he was, he was down on his luck at the time. Um, you know, my dad um, was addicted to making it. So, I mean, he, he would his ability to make money was only eclipsed by his ability to blow it. And mm -hmm. but so he was down on his luck at this one particular junction. And I said, you know, I'm really lucky. And he said, why? And I said, because, you know, my oldest brother got to grow up with just playing with the toys and you being rich. I get to see how you become rich. And he was, like, all over that. He thought that was, like, the smartest little thing any little kid said. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to teach you everything I know. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I think, you know, but the point is, if you had, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a marketer who understands where, the, you know, where stories start to become kind of interesting, you know. And actually, you know, I, you know how far back I'll go with my story is, to, you know, my dad, I like to t tell people this. My dad was fired from his very last job the day I was born oh, for, okay. for wearing orange socks. And, uh, 
he came home and he was sitting on the stoop with my mother and he said, you know, if it doesn't, I, you know, I just don't want to be a part of this if it doesn't get better than this. I just don't want to do this. And my mom said, you know, then do follow your heart, do what you want. And my mom is a nurse. And so at that time, they started running tests and, you know, studying, uh, tr- you know, trying to make it a little bit into direct marketing. And they would do, they would run and put all their money into doing a test mailing. And they put so much of their money into it that they used the money for the electric bill. And my dad uh, told the story of, you know, one time they were sitting in the dark waiting for results from, from a test mailing. Mm. You know, and so I think that you know, I mean that you know the the story can be interesting going way back when, you know. <laughs> but the thing is, so for me, when you're trying to get that out of people, go back, you know, you know they'll go back a certain way. Go back further than they want to. You're not necessarily going to use it. You don't have to, mm. but have them go back further in their story. Do a lot of, you know, when they're ready to move on and you think there might be some interesting thing, stop them and get, you know, do more of the who, what, where, why, when, and how with them. You know, you know, the guy says, you know, and then I went to, you know, I was, you know, a sharecropper and then I went to Harvard. Wait a minute. You were a sharecropper that made it to Harvard? Okay, how and why? This is an interesting <laughs> story to explain, you know, to help explain away your success. You know, so the, but the the point is, you you turn you know the um, I go back I'd say go back further and also make sure that you shut up and listen to their story and then you know be prepared to probe deeper and of course there's always the shortcut way which is develop your list of questions you know write down the question Kevin just mentioned you know why did you get mm-hmm. into this um, write down the questions about you know the product itself the questions you know you know, you know, that series that will hopefully get them talking. Okay. You know? the, the other thing I would add to that when you talk about going deeper and stuff like that is, um, um, you know, every time I get a good quote from somebody, I write it down. And one of them I taped to my printer. It was written by uh, Jim Curley, um, who took over John Carlton's writing for the golf and fighting self-defense market. Yeah. But he, he's he got a thing that says sales and marketing is all about connecting the product with the emotions behind the pur- purchase. And, mm. you know, I talked about getting into the, the – to talking to one of their biggest customers or their biggest, you know, fans of whatever they do or sell or stuff like that. Yeah. And I think you want to go so far back as to find out what their emotion was for buying it mm. and getting into it. And that emotion is the key emotion I think you want to build your story around. And, and so if you can find that story now, it might be the inventor, and he might he have a story, you know, um, you know, he, you know, Bond talking about the exercise and stuff, and there's a, probably an emotion yeah. out there about, you know, f- you know, feeling, you know, physically aging way before his time, and um, uh, you know, not being able to walk or being out of breath or um, not, you know, not being able. To, and so. That's another element to add on to, you know, into that fact-finding mission is that emotion that was there that's behind that story that makes, that brings it home. Um, and that, that comes into the, you know, and that obviously comes full circle back to strumming their pain. And empathy. You know, Kevin, Kevin you have to, you know, it's that, it, it's that important is the part of empathy. You know, most everything we do is because of emotion, and emotion by its nature is irrational. But you know you don't. But you want to be somebody who understands that irrational 
behavior, you basically understand that feeling. You know, um, uh, if if you you know you you take an emotion, you know, there's an emotion behind somebody's obsession to do everything. You know, yeah. and it's irrational to uh, people who aren't into that obsession. You know, for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a watch collector. A lot of people would say it's, a, it's irrational to spend, you know, $3,600 on a watch. Mm. Okay? <laughs> so if you want to be somebody who sells people watches, you need, to under, you, need, you need to be able to sort of understand that emotion of being a collector. You need to understand mm. that emotion of you know that that are behind what are those particular things, and it could be, you know, you're just in love with the marvel, with the mechanics and the magic of what's going on inside your automatic watch. It could it could be that you just love that you know that you understand that people love the emotion when somebody compliments and says, "Wow, that's a really cool watch." Kevin's got this huge monster watch, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everybody comments on it every single time he wears it. So if he yeah. didn't want the attention, he would never wear it. <laughs> you know. Oh, well, I like the watch for just liking the watch. Yeah, everybody oh. justifies everything, but the point is, Kevin wears <laughs> yeah, that yeah. watch. <laughs> so Kevin, it's, it's so I can find my watch when I'm tr- walking through my place. So it's just like a pink car. Dude, this, I mean, but, <laughs> the watch is so huge. <laughs> it's it's like a it's like an arm weight that he can actually do exercises with. It's a really cool yeah. watch. It really it is. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know its actual size. I bought it because I like the design. But that's the other part of the the thing. You know, you can sit there. You know, you've got to explain things in a way that you know won't make them automatically go, "Oh, well, I didn't do that because I'm not vain. I'm not a vain person." Okay. But the way that you would do that is say, you know, and then I put this watch on, and you know, yes, a lot of people are going to come up and give you some attention and say, hey, where'd you get that watch? Or that's cool. And so the people who, who you know, go, yeah, I want that. They'll 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 come up on that on their own. And then what you do is you you do you give you do give the exact same justification that Kevin just did, or a better one. You say, but you know, it's so easy to read that you know, I mean, I can glance yeah. at the time without letting anybody know that I'm a little bored or I'm late for a meeting and I got to you yeah. know and, and and I don't want to offend them and it's so large yeah. I can just kind of glance at the t- at the time and that doesn't you know nobody will notice yeah. because the face of it is so big so what I've just given is I've, I've you know I've given them their emotional thing you know subtly and I've given them their excuse but the yeah. emotion that Kevin's talking about is 100% right. You know, when people, you know, when people tell you, that's why they always t- give you their struggles. The good marketers will give you their struggle story before their success story. Mm. You know, because you under, they understand your pain. I was worried about where my next check was coming from. You know, am I going to be able to feed the kids? You know, this is the pain. This is the pain and the emotion that everybody's feeling when they're in a, in a financial bind. Yeah. You know. And then, um, and you know, and then I discovered the simple trick that you know that helped me and will help you, you know, put you know put you onto the path of success. Yeah, and you know, another another thing I think of when when we talk about this stuff in diagnosing how you're going to market something is the two questions you know that I like to ask myself are, what are they running from and what are they running to, and you try to you know help fuel that if it you know goes in the direction you want. That makes any sense. Yeah, but just you know, don't make the prospect think that you're trying to psychoanalyze them. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, and and you know, you have. It, sometimes you can't. You know, the, you know, 
there's there's a, the saying, you know, don't assume you tell them everything and make it clear and stuff. And there are certain things people like or are into, and they do have to – they 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 can't be told directly all the time because it, 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 yeah. it's it, it's uncomfortable to have it out in the open like that. They have yeah. to, like, you know, deal with it in their subconscious and stuff like that, depending on what the subject matter is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's you know, um, so some of the times, you know, uh, and, and the excuse, you know, Bond was talking about or the reason, you know, you know, and the reason I can justify the fact that I didn't know the watch was so big is I bought it from eBay. I didn't see it online. <laughs> so I didn't see it like in a jewelry store, put it on and went, went wow, that's a two-pound watch. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's I bought picture. it. I was just like, wow, that's a badass-looking watch. And um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, some, we, you know, we there's, a, there's a saying. With Kevin. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a saying that when a guy makes a purchase, uh, he, he um, you know, there's, there's two, what is it, two reasons that he has. Um, the, the one he tells his wife, and then the real reason. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes you have to, you have to, sometimes you have to fortify them with a way that's acceptable for them to, um, um, like there, there, there was a, there was a, um, um, I'm trying to think of it. You know, there's a, there's a, a big thing in marketing when you're selling like a, 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 a solution to certain things is it's not your fault. And you've got to make it okay mm. that that's not their fault. Yeah. And, you know, there's, like, virility markets and stuff like that. You don't um, – they you can't tell them, hey, you know, uh, you're less than a man and you need to compensate for it because, you know, you're just not <laughs> as good as the rest of the normal population <laughs> and stuff. you got to go in there and say, you know, people suffer from this. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a normal decline in whatever and um, – you know, and you have what, to be. I suffered from it too. You know, well, I suffered helps. from it too. It's not your fault, you, you know. And there's a way that they can accept that they're going to go make this purchase that makes them not less than a man or a human yeah. being or or something fine. like that. Yeah, and you got to deliver that. You got to let them, you know, have it in a way that that they, that they could mentally, you know, even if they know the real deal within themselves. People lie to themselves all the time yeah. behind their purchases and stuff, and. Sometimes they need another person to help them with that other way of thinking of it to make it acceptable for them to go and get the thing. Um, um, you know, like mm-hmm. let's say let's say a better sex book. I mean, if you buy a, a, a book on better sex, you know, like wow, I'm really lousy in bed. I need some help. You know, <laughs> you know that may not be that may not be what you know. Uh, um, you know, but if you go sixteen little known secrets that were from the, the second century in Egypt, you know, whatever, mm. you know, mm. then it's not their fault. Yeah, yeah, that'll make her crave you over. Yeah, it'll over drive her again. crazy in bed and you know yeah. How so, to ruin your wife how to ruin you know. your girl for other men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she'll never leave. She'll never she'll ne- she won't mm. be able to, you know, whatever. So but, yeah, so you get you get to that point where you're just positioning it into into a way that when he, he goes to buy that thing he, it's it's palatable. He can, you know, he can feel good. He doesn't, you know, and he, maybe he has something. Maybe you've you've written up, you know, if someone. That's what you like about the Kindle. If you're reading stuff that you don't want people to know you're reading, no one knows it because you're on a Kindle. 
You know, otherwise yeah. you got a cover of something. You know, <laughs> you know, you got it all hidden. I mean, other than you can carry fifty thousand books in a little slim thing, but yeah, well, they were putting book covers. You know, adults, when they first started reading the Harry Potter novels, because it was a kid book, started putting covers on them. You know, book mm. covers on them, so people didn't you know realize they were reading a kid's book at the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you sometimes you have to make it so that. You know, you have to speak to that one step removed from the from the bitter cold hard truth to something yeah. that they that they can they can swallow. Yeah, so. but you need to understand what that bitter hard cold cold, uh, cold yeah, hard gotta, truth is. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes yeah. you you spell their pain because it's not their fault, or yeah, or sometimes you 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 make up their their excuse for their so that they can tell their buddies that you put in the ad for them. So even though you're not saying, hey, you know, this, but um, you know, no, they actually have a way of defending their own. Yeah, and going back to the fertility thing, you know, when you turn around and say, you know, uh, you know, I had this problem, and you know, and it made me feel like less of a man. You're not saying because you feel like less of a man. And then you say, you know, and then I found out, you know, it's really not my fault, and it can't, it's not anybody's fault. This is, you know, <laughs> this happens to 78% of guys over the age of 40 who mm. used to eat French fries or whatever. Yeah, it happens it to everybody. No one's just talking about it, just like you yeah. aren't, you know. Yeah, and you, yeah. you know, and, and I always say that you you always put the, you know, the bad part is on you, you know, the, the good part, you know. So I always say that you do the transition, that you go, you know, I was sleeping in my car and struggling you know, and then I discover the secret again that will help you, you know, and then yeah. then when you use this trick, you know, and like, you know, right. and be careful because, you know, if, you know, because, you know, if you do this right, you know, you may have a hard time getting rid of her, <laughs> you know, so you want to be, you know, you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is the, you know, the warning. Some people take this too far, you know, don't, you know, don't try and, uh, you know, I mean, some people use this trick, and then they they just spend their whole life addicted to making more money and don't get outside the house and enjoy themselves. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. You brought the word "you" because there's something else that I, you know, want there to be a new term in the copywriting marketing. It's called the U-turn, and you know, that's what my dad was a master at. And if you read his copy, you'll realize it's in there that it gets down to like towards the end of the. You know, let's say it's a three or four column ad. You get to the, you know, close to the end of the, like the first column. You starts coming into play in a bigger way. And one of the things I, you know, you can do is I, I did this. I went through this. Blah 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 blah. And then when you go to, to, you know, and I'm gonna sell, and I'm gonna sell you this secret so you can have it too. You don't do that. What you do is you go, you know, you use that, you know, what is it they call the royal we? But is it this mm-hmm. like to me? There's this like royal you. You know, I discovered that with this little trick, you could do this. And that's not saying you – it's kind of like you meaning everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. it gets deeper into the – but as you get those yous going, they get used to seeing and hearing those yous, and then you get down to the personal you. You know, if you want your – you know, and that's another another technique that's been is being used. Carlton uses it a lot in his bullets and stuff is – is, is uses what I call a you your sentence, and then it's, it's, it's like to me, it's a trick to saying you twice in the same sentence. <laughs> you well, that found out. That, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and your uh, your profits will skyrocket. Yeah. <laughs> you will be able to do blah blah your. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You will be able to skyrocket your profits. You know. It's a big mm. you your. Yeah. But once you that, use this trick, your pro- skyrocket. Your profits will skyrocket, and you'll have a hard time. You know. Pro- you'll need people to help you make your deposits at the banks. Yeah. Mm. So you can really go from I. To you know that U-turn is I to you, the big U, and then the personal U is is a is a is, a, is a, it's like you d- you don't even see it happening to you. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Listen, uh, have you guys got? Uh, uh, have you still got a little bit more time left? I've got about ten more minutes. Because I really wanted to ask about. Uh, um, we listened to you. Uh, it's me, Dan Kennedy, seminars as, as I have. Uh, and your father's as well. After that, you know, I was really intrigued by the story of uh, uh, the coat of arms mailing and uh, the story of uh, it was apparently Dan Kennedy's first uh, a copywriting job mm-hmm. uh, involved in, the, in that business. So um, really intrigued by the story of, uh, of uh, all the bags of checks that were being sent in to the mm-hmm. office. Uh, were you guys around at that time? Absolutely. Yep, we were we were we were around for it, and um, you know the the um, we always we always tout and give a lot of credit to our mother because she made one of the breakthroughs that made that company so profitable. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know that. Do you want to hear about that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Well, what happened was, you know, my dad turned to my mom. He's like, I just don't get it. You know, we do this one mailing, it's successful. We do this other mailing, it's not. <laughs> my mom turned around. And she's like, Duh. <laughs> she says. If you mail to somebody with the last name Smith, they know there's so many out there, they don't feel that it's special in any way. And then if you mail to uh, somebody with a name so rare, with so few names, it's not a profitable mailing. So they, they then found this sweet spot where they said, okay, we'll mail to the name if it's got up to a certain amount of name, en- enough names to make it a profitable mailing, but not so many names where people, you know, are always running into other people they're not related to with the same yeah. name. Yeah. And so what it would do is they would they stopped mailing people named Smith, you know, and they stopped Giants. they stopped mail they didn't mail to people with Kaisel Melaminkowski because there's only you know two of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was the one that came up with that, you know, and it was because she, you know. I think it was because she, you know, she's a very clear, clear-minded, logical person, and you know, yeah. she, for her, she was emotionally wrapped up in the success and loss of each individual mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, um, that was. Um, he was in Bath, Ohio, already by that time, right, Kevin? I mean, the headquarters was. Yeah, they were in Bath, Ohio, and they found it, an interesting part of that story. And I can talk about the checks in a second. But the interesting part of the story was in Bath, Ohio. You know. That this is this was a thing even back then. Okay, you know my dad was in you know the inventor of the fake computer letter. You know what he did was is he found out that he could get a you know a name sort on the last names and then mail to all those names. Well, yeah. when when the, the letters would go out, I remember watching them. They were rolling off of um, um, I want to call it it's like an offset press, but it's like one that you just it has a single drum and you just do it yourself. And it you know okay. they use it like at schools to print tests yeah, and yeah. stuff and um and what would he what happened was is you go you know dear mr halbert because halbert was probably in that sweet spot of names you know did you know and that that's another copywriting secret a lot of people don't don't use is they is is it's a big thing to ask a person a question in that first sentence 
because that first sentence draws them back into their own thought uh, thoughts because it's a question mm. to them. And mm. so you'll see that in a lot of my dad's copy. And, you know, did you know that your name was recorded in the you know, ancient archives of blah, blah, blah and, and, yeah. you know, years ago? So, But when this person got this letter, it looked like someone typed them a letter saying, Dear Mr. Halbert, this, these letters were not printed on some HP printer that could do a mail merge. It was, it was a miracle, you know. That this felt yeah. like someone took a time to type out this whole letter, you know. And so mm. um, that was part of this big breakthrough. But there was still... Even then, you know, because there were still a lot of hucksters and stuff like that and snake oil salesmen, but there was, uh, there was still a, a BS detector on these people. And when he was in yeah. Bath, Ohio, he would say, I'm writing blah, 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 and I hear in Bath, Ohio, and I talk blah, blah, blah. And that, that letter was so crafted and so perfected that when they moved their facilities to an entirely different city, I think it was even mm-hmm. maybe even Florida, but it was somewhere, I think it was out of the state, but it may have been just across the state. They would put, put those letters on a truck and deliver them back to the Bath, Ohio post office so that they could have the cancellation stamp saying it came out of the Bath, Ohio post office. Wow. Because that, and they knew it, They, you know, I think they tested it, it proved that the response went up because these people mm. would double check against certain things for authenticity. And mm. um, so that was a very important key to, to um, you know, keeping response high. The, um, yeah. The, the thing about the checks was is that because there was no, you know, uh, credit card merchant processing network back then, that's how people paid for things. They paid COD, you know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think they sent cash in the mail much, uh, and money orders and stuff like that, and checks. Well, this thing, you know, was only selling for like two bucks, and they were just taking in these things, you know, just by the, the sack load of, of letters that, that, that they had uh, – I forget it was in the I think it was in the 20 to 30 people they had all preparing the checks for deposit into the bank. Yeah. And the the bank had gotten so busy taking these deposits that they had, they had taken over this one single floor of this building just <laughs> for processing. So this entire floor was just dedicating to to cash uh to depositing the checks for um Halberts Incorporated. So wow. yeah, yeah, it was a big, it was a big operation. The power of a good salesman. Oh yeah, well, and that's that's the thing, you know, um, you know, if you if you look at it, you know, and it, you know, we're, I'm preparing a letter because we're going to start hooking up uh, copywriters with clients and stuff because we, you know, know how important it is and we want to deal with, you know, and I want these people coming in the right frame set of appreciating mm-hmm. what a what the real value of a copywriter is. And you realize that that whole business that you know that 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 there's a there's there there's the product which is you know the Halberts coat of arm, uh, uh, it's a a plaque you know a suitable for framing picture of your family crest or the physical plaque was an upsell on the back end and then you've got the customer list you know and there's that thin all important thread that connects them too which is the copy that letter that is. You know that is the linchpin that holds these two pieces and makes this whole thing go. And mm. so um, the power of those was it 351 words, you know, built an empire. And you know the people out there, you know, you do not sit there and and uh, you know look at a copywriter as some hack you just put in a back room and you know he does his job. He you know he is critical, yeah, critical. The engine room. 
to the success of of a business. You know, yeah, and, and when it comes to you know when you're getting a copywriter, what you're doing is you're you know you're renting this person's brain so that they're spending all this time thinking about it. And you know, and you know copywriters have the problem when they come back. You know, here's your letter. You know, and they they are always thinking. You know, why I could do that? You just sat down and typed out this letter. Oh yeah, I went I went to a mastermind. These guys paid fifteen thousand dollars a head for a year membership to be in this mastermind group. And this guy comes up to me, and uh, he says, "I get my copywriting done on Fiverr." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I'm just well, well, you get uh, you probably people. get five bucks for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and. Um, you know, and as my dad would say, and a lot of people would say, the best copywriters in the world are free because they, you know, there are two things. They don't waste your time on losing hope on trying a cheaper copywriter that may not get response, which may deflate your spirits and make you give up altogether. So you want to take your best shot at making that thing go. And, you know, if he's if he's good enough, you know, you know there's some copywriters that go from, like, we just hooked one up. He wants $35,000 as a fee to start. And you know we have them in different ranges, but the the um, uh, but the thing is, is you know if your thing goes gangbusters, you you'll stop licking your wounds over the check that you had to write to get that guy who, yeah. who's who's the rainmaker that makes it all happen. And that copywriter, you know, if he's asking that kind of money and he's got a track record for for delivering on that stuff, that you know, uh, he's he's the difference between hiring him and somebody who you know on Fiverr. Uh, well, you can go even in between. You know, some guy took an English class or or an advertising yeah. class in college or something. But you know, you take that guy. You know, the the difference is, is the, this copywriter paid for himself this many times over, as opposed to this guy you paid. You know, you know, got your bargain rate on. Yeah, you got your five bucks back. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Here's fifteen bucks for your five dollar copy. You know. <laughs> oh, so three to one return on investment. <laughs> huh? Say again. Three to three to one return on the. Oh yeah, three to one. You know, <laughs> so yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, people really do need to know. Too bad you're trying you know, to recover. And, and, and I think I think another <laughs> thing is, you know, there's a couple things. Is is you know, I want to get on a couple stories. One thing is is that, you know, um, my dad had written an ad for somebody, and they go, uh, "Wow, you did that pretty fast. How long did it take you?" And he goes, "30 minutes and 30 years." <laughs> you know, and that really kind of pointed it out. And another buddy of ours, um, he had written he had written an ad that went crazy, um, and I think he did it in 30 minutes. And I can't tell you, he was ghost writing for a big guy on television. Yeah. And um, 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 one of the things that he was talking about was, you know, and Gene Schwartz has a story, same story too, is. Don't tell them how how if you if you you know if it's one you've done before and now you just got to modify for another client yeah. and stuff like that. Don't tell them it took you 30 minutes. Make mm. them think that you're slaving awake, losing <laughs> sleep at night, and take two weeks to deliver on that product because <laughs> they won't appreciate it. You know, if you write this big winning sales copy against you know with a with a with a uh, with a with a what do a base fee plus plus uh, back end, you know, because yeah. they're going to, they're going to, you know, because they, do, they can't get the concept behind that why should somebody who, who, 
you know, took so long to master this, but it only took them 30 minutes to do, should get paid all this money on the back yeah, end. Yeah. And the thing kind is, though, like the free advice thing. Yeah, it is like you know. I think that 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 polish wears off after a certain while. After you know, the guy's not doing anything more, but you're still sending him checks. And you know, mm. at some point, they're you know, there starts coming up these weird excuses and everything and they're doing the stupidest thing in the world is that that ad is going to peter out and that you know you're going to want that guy again and you know so you you always uh take care of the back end when you're hiring a copywriter you you know always take care of their you know if they get a piece of per mailing per per letter mail per whatever those those guys you know because if you look at the biggest the biggest copywriters in the world that bring in the the huge dollars you can't touch them. You know why? Because their book's solid because they're working for some big dog who understands the value of keeping mm. that copywriter happy and always mm. never cheating him on the uh, on the uh, yeah. uh, uh, commissions. You know. So you know, yeah. and that's 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 a common foolish mistake made by certain you know entry level clients. So, but anyways, yeah. not to go down that dark path. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, but but uh, you know, long but story short. But if they come into us though, when they come to us looking for copywriters, right now because we've been placing them, uh, you know, but we're now going to promote and let people know that they can come to us. But you know, when mm-hmm. they come to us, they do know the value of a copywriter usually. So it's a good place, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's and, been helpful for us. And and we you know we really do you know like I just explained the value of a copywriter pays for himself and many times over is we you know we really and and we're. We're not just looking out for the copywriter's interest. We're looking out for the client. We're responsible for both sides. You know, we yeah. we really want them to come in on the right f- mental frame set of how to look at this, and how you know how to look at that relationship and how valuable it is. And, um, yeah. You know, and is that something you guys want to uh, um, talk a bit about, bit about now, so we can uh, sure. get the I, listeners? Sure. I can tell you out. how it happened. Basically, yeah. what happened was is um, I called. Um, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson used to work with uh, Jay Abraham and Rich Sheffrin, and uh, yeah. he worked together on perfecting that Evergreen, uh, um, you know, the Evergreen, Evergreen launch. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you, yeah. So we, I was talking to him about something, and I had a question for him about something, and, I, and he's a really nice guy. And he called me back, and he's, he's giving, and I said, well, what are you working on and doing this? And he's like, I'm, I'm now over with, um, uh, I think his name's John Butcher. He's a billionaire behind... Um, uh, precious moments, all those figurines that are like, I think they're like Norman Rockwell's or, you know, okay. type 3D porcelain figurines or something. Yeah. This is this massive, lucrative business. And uh, he said, you know, I actually I'm looking for copywriters. And I said, well, let me see if I can help you out. And he said, I have a spec thing, I, you know, I've written up, and it's, you know, you can write a spec ad for it. And we had a lot of copywriters respond and say they didn't want to write spec. They were too good. And I, I actually believe that. I don't think it was really arrogance. But in any case, coincidentally, we had Mike Koenig had, had said he was looking for some, and we had another guy, Eric Weinstein, who worked with my dad, all looking for copywriters at once. And so I just said, you know what, let's do these guys a solid. And we just sent out to our list, and we said, you know, basically calling all copywriters. We've got these guys. They're all looking for this. Here's a spec, you know come on in and do this and people were writing back they were sending in their samples and stuff and I was writing thanks I'll yeah, forward I this on that, yeah. yeah and I said thanks I'll forward this on but this took like a day and a half to get the letters out get the things in forward mm-hmm. them back on to everybody else and just take care of all of it and you know 
that was fine. It worked out, you know. Um, we got these people tons of, you know, copywriters. I and, mean, you know, we didn't pre-qualify them. We didn't say, we're going to look at it and say this is Halbert approved. We're just going to send you the people. Yeah. You guys figure out if they're good. And that just took too long. And so we didn't do that anymore. And then people started asking us, hey, you know, can you – can you recommend copywriters for us? And, you know, we'll, we'll give you a percentage for, you know, finding us good guys and stuff. And, you know, we did it once or twice, and it just started coming at us. that people were saying, hey, you know, give us the good guys, you know. Because, you know, you know, they could end up with a guy off of Fiverr. They could end up with, a, mm. um, um, you know, somebody that's, you know, touting themselves and, and stuff like that. And then we thought – People would be just good at kind of figuring it out for themselves, but they really did want some somebody to come in and give them the recommendations. And so we started doing that. And um, part of it was also triggered by a, a call. Um, Robert Allen had contacted us, and he wanted us to consult on something, so we started consulting on that. And uh, and then we just said, you know, I have a copywriter we can put you with. And uh, so we did some stuff for the friend of Robert Allen. It's not Robert Allen. And so we just started doing this more because people just started sending us questions. And it's like, well, you know, we can do it, you know, if we get a piece, if it makes up for our time to, you know. And we, and we found out it really does make a difference because you really can, um, you know, I, I know plenty of copywriters, but I will toil for a while on which one to bring them because I yeah. really want to understand what the, the client is and who who is that guy that will make us look really good if we can bring him to the client, you know, because he's worked in this, he's hit the home runs, he knows, you know, and you know, one of the biggest things in the, in in marketing, you know, there's everyone says like the biggest thing in in copywriting is this, and you'll hear ten different answers. It's the headline, it's the P.S., it's the offer, it's the, you know, it's understanding your market, your your customer, you know, it's all. And truth is, every single one of them is critical, and you got to know them all. But for me, it for when it's matching the copywriter with the client it's that it's the for me the first thing is the copywriter understands the customer and if i feel that that copywriter understands the customer i think he you know he's the one that i want to get the three-way call going with the client yeah so is this uh, um uh something you'd like uh, um some of the listeners to uh contact you about because there's going to be a few copywriters uh, um both in Australia and, and uh, around the world, listening into this. So. Sure, absolutely. You know, and you know, we'll have to, you know, you know, we will. Yes, absolutely. We we will. But I just say, you know, we're not taking. We're not all taker. We're taking anybody who contacts us. It's, yeah, you'll have to send us hmm. some sample work. You know, for we. Sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. If this is an application. I'll make that, I want to make that clear. Uh, yeah, that's you know, because copywriting clear. nowadays well, yeah. is specialized. If you run into a copywriter who says, "No, I can just write copy for anything," you know, <laughs> that means they can write really lukewarm, barely mediocre mm. copy for everything. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you know that it, it is—it's a specialized field a lot more now than ever because it's—you know—you'd be really hard pressed to beat Jim Curley when it comes to self-defense. You know, mm. you're going to be really—you know. Um, and stuff like that. So, you know, and it's, it's not saying that you can only be in one category, but, you know, for the most part, you know, to have that super great understanding of, you know, the emotions behind the prospects in a certain industry, you know, like weight mm-hmm. loss or beauty or, you know, versus yeah. income making or, you know, self-defense, they're completely different. 
Yeah, you know, a great example of that is, is that um, I think Carlton was talking about it once where he was talking about, um, you know, some of the biggest, you know, uh, in golf, you know, a lot of the winning is done, you know, on putting on the green. But that doesn't sell. What sells is that long 500-yard straight drive. And yeah. even though you might have the answer to how they can lower their score, they want it. They want that answer to be something else. They need to be, you know. And that's another thing. That's another thing that I think is important in copywriting and marketing is to say is to ask yourself this question: What do these people have to be told to be sold? And yeah. you know. That doesn't mean you lie to them. It means what do they have to hear to be sold, and can you deliver ethically and honestly that which yeah. they have to be told to be sold? And so, you know, it, you know, Carlton can definitely tell them how to, to fire, fire. You know, I don't think anyone does 500 yards. Maybe they do, um, but to fire off several hundred yards straight in yeah. the air can help shave off a lot of points off their card. You know, that's what they need to be told, and, you know, if this instructor can deliver it, that's great. You know, mm. too bad they don't know that the putting's really going to, you know, give them the edge over the five buddies. And that's, you know, another thing we was talking about was was it's it's that looking at your buddies after you fire the shot, and you're the top dog when you, you know, start walking <laughs> farther down the down the uh, fairway to to hit your ball, you know. So, you know, yeah. that being that tuned into that customer psychology and what it is that, that – that you know that frequency that that flips that switch in them you know is very important bonds very right about that you know that you you got you know why why get a guy new into the market when you can get a seasoned guy that knows that market cuz you're going to pay your money to teach him what that market's mm. about when you yeah. can actually hire a guy who's already done that you know um, um the other thing cuz I really do have to cut this off soon cuz I got a meeting um sure and we're all through my throughway. <laughs> um, I would also, you know, um, encourage everybody who's listening, make sure you visit the GaryHalbertLetter.com. Um, yeah, yeah. It is free. You, you know, you want, you got to sign up, you know, just to be a part of it. But And you want to give us, you know, your regular email address because we do do time-sensitive offers, and we're not, you know, um, you send, and we market to marketers in some instances. So we do send very time-sensitive gifts every once in a while, like, you know, something that's up for 48 hours. And they will get mad at us because we, you know, we pulled the recording down after 48 hours that we actually follow through with what we say. Yeah, oh, we get all kinds of stories. Yeah, they'll give us, yeah, they'll give us My all My boat the, broke down in the middle of the ocean. I could not get back in time. Please give it to yeah. us. <laughs> Um, but, you know, yeah. the thing is, what we do with that is, you know, we provide, a, like I said, our goal is to provide a lot of information to people. So we'll get, you know, you know, um, contributions from all kinds of top marketers that will come and, you know, and speak to the list and help them out with stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we don't just, you know, we, you know, we refuse to spam people once a week with sales offers or anything like that. So it's not something people yeah. need to worry about. Yeah. The reason I mentioned yeah. that, you know, primary address is nobody checks that fake address that everybody's got. Yeah. Um, and so they don't they check it, but they don't check it in time. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. and it's okay. You can sign up with any address that you want. Just, you know, don't be surprised if, you know, a couple times a year there's something, you know, that was very time sensitive. Because we, you know, we've done offer. I remember one time we did an offer to come meet with us and, you know, talk shop here in L.A. 
and you know just in LA we got like 80 people in 3 hours to sign up we had to rescind yeah. the offer you know immediately and um just you know you know and accept only those people that first 80 80 people yeah yeah it was just you know it was, it was <laughs> it really you know it was one of those things but you know it, you know and you can attest to it you know i mean the information is available from the you know cuz we keep the letters up you know yeah. From the Gary Halbert letter is just you know it's a great learning resource. Yeah, well, I mean, anyone that's uh, um, half serious about their marketing and and uh, if they had any idea that uh, GaryHalbertLetter.com is there, they're signed up to it with their regular email address. I mean, I'm on uh, everyone's email list, and there's there's only uh, a small handful of uh, emails that I check and and. Uh, that would be one of them. So, um, so uh, I thank you for keeping that one up, and uh, a lot of people other do as well. But um, uh, also like to thank you um, both of you guys very much for spending this amount of time with me. Um, uh, um, it has truly been an honour. Without, uh, and I don't think I'm overstating the case here. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and it's been. Um, Probably the uh, without. Uh, um, I don't think it's going too far to say it's been one of the best marketing educations that uh, that people can have. I think that this is um, by a long way um, uh, one of the most valuable calls that uh, that I'll be doing in the series. Full stop. So um, well, we're we glad owe, we could, we're we glad owe, we could we do it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we're yeah, glad we're the best call, but we're sad for you that, that we're the best call. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll live with that. Huh? No, um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you can edit. Well, thanks time. again anyway. I was just making um, a joke. <laughs> well, no problem. Yeah, no problem, Thanks man. again. And uh, when I get over to the States, uh, um, we'll have to catch up and I'll buy you a... Uh, um, also nice strong uh, Aussie beer and uh and uh, we'll have a bit of a, a chat then and uh Yeah, don't don't um, you dare come to LA without looking us up. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even wouldn't even uh think of not doing that. Well, okay, thanks Brian. again guys. No um, problem. Uh I'll uh, I'll catch up real soon. Okay. Okay. I'll thanks, see you guys. on Facebook. Bye bye. Right. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Geniuses of Copywriting with Brian Casagina. To get the full transcript and all the resources mentioned on today's show, go to www.geniusesofcopywriting.com now.